I'm Lissa Mia Smith. And I'm Anna Mercier. And you're listening to Turning to Story. As writers, we've experienced the triumphs and heartbreaks of the publishing industry, from endless rejection to dream book deals. Through it all, we've learned to embrace the one thing in this chaotic industry we can always control. Our craft. Snap back on Snap. Oh. <laughs> That's so... God. Snappy, snappy. Snappy, snappy. We're back to our snappy snaps. We did it. We're snappy snaps. Circle. It came full circle. Yeah. Okay. Which is kind of a form of dialogue. Dialogue. Dare we try to actually do it? Dare we, <laughs> we do this. We can do this. <laughs> Welcome to Turning to Story, where Anna and I are in terrible moods. <laughs> Pretending to be in good moods. We're pretending to be in great, great moods. We're pretending not to be tired and not to be overwhelmed with all of the thoughts and things going on in our brain. Yes, we're going to be really great actors today. Yes. And no one will know. And do you know what actors are given? What? I have no idea. They're given scripts. They're given scripts. Do you know what's in scripts? What's in scripts? Dialogue. But um bump (laughs) (laughs) sarcastic about this but i really love dialogue it's my passion okay yes you really love dialogue and i i recognize the importance of dialogue i have not been as thoughtful about dialogue until conversations with you right it's it's one of those that goes by the wayside i think sometimes um uh like in a side note uh i had a friend uh from my writing group shout out to emily uh send me a great video from one of her students that she thought would be right up my alley and it was and it's about george lucas uh creator of star wars being uh having wooden what's called wooden dialogue which is like (laughs) especially in the prequel trilogies where it's like explaining things that happened on a planet and it's such sci-fi heavy dialogue that Uh nobody speaks this way but um with that wooden dialogue a lot of what the reason why his dialogue is wooden is because he doesn't really pay attention to it he doesn't like he understands it's important but he also, it's not the most important thing to him. It's just part of the movie, much like the the soundtrack, right? Much like the costumes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are more important things to storytelling for him than dialogue. So I think it's normal. I think that's normal. Well, I've been, and I don't want to jump ahead if you cover this, um, but I've been trying to be, I've been thinking about dialogue in terms of when to think about dialogue, if that makes oh, yeah. sense. Like I have a friend who drafts dialogue first and then goes, when she writes a scene, she uh-huh. puts all the dialogue like script style. Uh, he said, she said, he said, like without any dialogue tags or anything and just writes it all out so she knows what needs to be said. And then she goes back and adds the scene Ooh. around it where I kind of tend to be the opposite. I paint a scene and then we'll kind of like bullet, they learn this, they learn this, but that... You know, I'm very slow. I know everyone's very surprised to hear this. I'm a very slow writer. So I'm, I have been trying her way and I like it. Nice. I, I, there are scenes like there are chapters and scenes that are more like that. They don't have a ton of dialogue, right? It's the, we all have those scenes where it's like they're exploring something or they're off on their own or whatever. Um, But for anything that is dialogue heavy, I do the same thing where I draft it out in a script first and then. Because that helps me when I have an overabundance of things that have to be learned in a scene. Um, that, and that's my new drafting method that I'm excited is like how I can convey those things mm-hmm. as well. And drafting it out in a script allows me to do that and make it flow naturally, which then gives me the emotion I need to channel through the scene. Okay, that makes sense. I like that. Yeah. So you're going to lead us on a dialogue journey? Yeah, let's or let's just dive in. Let's, let's just do it. Do it. Um, I'm going to try not to be dry. Uh, please please help me make jokes because I get excited and I will just be like, teacher pants. <laughs> I'll metaphorically beat you with a wooden spoon if you have any wooden dialogue. Yes. Oh, wooden spoon for wooden dialogue. Thank you. It's really cute. <laughs> oh, God. Our jokes are starting out like our mood. Terrible. (laughs) Uh, I love it. I love it. Okay. 
So um, a lot of this information I pulled from a YouTube video that is one of my favorites. I've watched it a couple of times. It is called The Key to Writing Freakishly Good Dialogue. Now, Anna, and sorry. Would you yeah. say we should link put these links in the Substack? Oh, hey, what's up? We have a Substack, and that's where you can find this information. We're never going to stop talking about it. We love it so much, turning it's to story. It's so fun! Yes. Turning to story.substack.com. Go there. Every week we post the all the links and information and visuals that might help you understand what we're talking about, along with some things that we later realize, ooh, I wish we covered this part or that part. And we have them all for previous episodes, too. Um, and eventually we'll go back for season one, but we have them for previous episodes of season Yay. two so far. So check it out. Anywho, the key to writing freakishly good dialogue? Yes. Um, the person who does the YouTube videos, um, which I find for dialogue is very helpful, um, really does script writing um, and, you know, film. But it translates really well here. So um, I think the first thing that I really want to stress is for me, dialogue does start from a script. Um, I had a theater background. I did a lot of it in high school um, and middle school. And it's just something that comes naturally. Movies came naturally more to me than novels did when I was reading, like first starting exploring creativity. So I watched a ton of movies. And I think movies and TV shows are really, really good for when you're doing dialogue because you can pick up a cadence. Um, I think of dialogue almost as music. Mm -hmm. um, where it's, there's a certain cadence that you want to get, right? Um, short lines, long lines, um, when it's time to monologue, when it's time to remain silent. And the other thing that script writing helps me do is when I lay, lay it out as a script, and I mean like a very rough script, like I pull open a notepad on my computer, not even a Word doc, really? not Scrivener. Yes. Why? I have to because it has to be messy. I have to give myself permission to delete and delete and rewrite and delete and rewrite and shift. And something about a notepad just screams, this can go in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you don't, you're not wasting any resources here, girl, and it's not permanent. It's a notepad. <laughs> Nobody uses a notepad. The tricks you have to play in your brain. Right? There is and something to letting it be messy, though. Like, I found... Yes. When conversations need to happen in a scene, like, I have learned to let myself write too much first. Yes. Like, let write, write the conversation badly. Write the human responses that will eventually get cut. The, you know, I was thinking that, or... Uh-huh. You know, like, all the extra stuff, which we'll get to that, like, later you can yes. cut. And then when I do go back, which is often honestly, later that day, like it doesn't uh -huh. have to be even a second round revision, but once it's there, it's so much easier to fix and clean up. Exactly. That, that is exactly what happens in the notepad, right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't let myself, I don't even write out their full names. I write out their like first initial. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I do initial colon and then I do the dialogue. And then because I have done this for so long, it, there's a natural, and I think a lot of storytellers will find it natural. I hope, um, that you'll just kind of feel when there's a beat, like you'll feel, so I'll put in parentheses, um, little stage notes to myself. Like he understands this means she's angry at him. So he goes quiet and fiddles with something on the table. Uh, maybe I put in something that is like, um, I'm trying to think of another example. Oh, um, if they're angrily yelling at each other over an object, right, uh, there is a moment that I can feel that she's going to like grab the locket out of her, you know, jacket and hold it up in his face, right? And I can feel when that's going to be in the dialogue, I can get that ramping up yelling, 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 what do you mean about this? And then like, I put in parentheses, takes locket out of pocket, swings it in his face. Um, Oh, so you'll do almost like the um, stage directions. Yes. Just to get through it because you're really focusing on just getting the words out, the dialogue. Exactly. Yeah. So that, like, again, helps keep that cadence, keeps that flow. So so when you talk about cadence, what do you, what do you mean? So um, I talk about, like, the rhythm of revealing information. So no conversation is a mile a minute for the entirety of the conversation. There, it takes a while. So like an argument, um, if, it's a, if it's a full scene of an argument, unless something has happened to spark the argument, they're not going to come in fist swinging. Mm -hmm. It's somebody, they're going to they're gonna be dancing around each other. 
They're going to be saying things to try not to get in an argument. And that's going to be a little bit slower. And it's going to be a little bit shorter lines because I don't want to say something that I'm going to regret. So I'm going to be like, fine, whatever you think, those little lines. And you're like, mm, that's tension. Mm, that's tension. And then somebody will say something a little bit longer because they're letting a little bit more steam out mm-hmm. and we're letting a little bit more steam out until it is a full-blown argument. And that's when you can find short lines cracking back and forth. This is where you can find your long lines that have lots of explanation. Finally, this character is taking this time to get all this shit off their chest. So they're just talking and talking and talking. There's a rhythm and a flow. And I, I can only suggest picking that up by picking a scene from a TV show or a movie or even a book that you love and just consume it again and again and again and again to figure out that rhythm. What goes quickly in your head? What goes slower and why? So it's sort of like an in, there's an internal sense when you're reading your own work, let's say, or even because uh-huh. some what happens when I do this with someone else's work, if it's something I really like, uh, it sucks me in and then I don't yes. learn from it immediately. And then I have to go back, even if it's just a page and say, okay, how did this suck me in? Yes. What happened here? Um, in the the preparation I did do to, for today, I was thinking like one of my favorite books for dialogue is Six of Crows, for example. Yes. So yeah. I went found a random page and like with a lot of dialogue and was like, okay, what makes this dialogue good, which we'll get to, et cetera. Um, but the cadence, I want to make sure if my understanding it, my understanding of it is the same as yours. So like when I'm reading over my own work, you know, while, you know, cause as you're drafting or revising, you're constantly rereading, rereading and with dialogue as with other things, but particularly with dialogue, you're listening for, Oh, it's taking too long to get to the point here. Or, oh, this was too, yeah, this was too apologetic too quickly. Or, oh, this was a really good moment of tension. Let's stick into this a little bit longer. She got away with that too quickly. It's like this internal uh, being able to self-monitor your own response to your own work. Right. It is exactly that in... It is exactly that. I picked mm-hmm. up Six of Crows just so that we can talk about the Ooh. same book. Um, because I also, I agree with you. As soon as you said that, I was thinking of, okay, this is them deciding on a plan. And I, I'll, I'll read just a little bit of this because... Can you, can you just um, do it in voices, please? Absolutely. <laughs> um, ooh, what kind of voice would Wyland have? A proper, adorable... Maybe we should forget approaching from the north, said Wylan. If Pekka's crew has a head start, we should sail straight to whatever that word is. I'm not going to to pronounce that. The harbor will be crawling with security, Kaz said. Not to mention all the usual custom agents and lawmen. The south, through Ravka? That border is locked down tight, Nina said. It's a big border, said Matthias. But there's no way to know when it's the most... Do Do you feel that cadence? So there's like them arguing. You have this really long line from Wylan. And then it's Kaz coming in with a long line of explanation. And then we need to like quickly roll through some information. The South, the border is locked down tight. It's a big border. And then we jump back around, right? And so wait, the South is one person. The border is locked down tight is another person. It's a big border is another person. Exactly. And it doesn't even matter at this point. I mean, you can probably tell because it'll be the last two speakers are probably back and forth. Exactly. But it's more important that we're getting the tone of, which is good. This is I can learn from Bardugo here because having... Uh-huh. Four characters in a conversation is not easy. That. Because that. you want to weigh it down with who's saying what. But notice she skipped through. She did not, um, it was Kaz said. It was uh-huh. Nina said. It, we were not weighed down in Kaz said balancing and, you know, a knife in yes. the palm of his hand. Like <laughs> and here's like, I think here's a better, and I may subs this out whenever we edit, whenever I edit. This is, I think this is a better example too. Um, this is a different scene. Uh, with Wylan, focus on Wylan, Jesper. I just want to interrupt you for a second to point out how quickly you can find the scenes you want in Six of Crows. You know this book so well. What I know this book so well, and I'm also looking, this is my favorite thing about dialogue, I'm looking for where it's not a lot of prose on the page Mm. because there have been studies done about dialogue on the page that readers truly, if there is dialogue on the page, a lot of dialogue, and there are lots of big chunky prose, reader eye movement jumps straight to the dialogue. And mm. they are naturally going to jump to dialogue before they read the big chunky prose. So you got to kind of balance the two. Um, and, the, and that's 
that's like why I can find little scenes. So you're flipping like, through and seeing where the yeah. And, and even usually, I'd imagine if a reader, a very purposeful reader, does not jump to dialogue, there's still the urge to do it. So you're there's a ticking clock in your head of like your brain wants to go unconsciously to dialogue. So that is that tension. You're doing all sorts of dancing. So just so everyone yes. knows, Anna thinks I'm a genius and she agrees with everything I say. Always. I love it. I am. I, there's these moments where I do dance and that's like one of one of these days, maybe we do a live recording so like people can just, and then we put gifts of this on our sub stack where it's like you reacting to me doing weird stuff and being like, yeah, I don't know what's happening. That's absolutely going to happen. Um, I love it. No, I think that's like, that's absolutely it. And is, that's... Oh, and that's how you self-edit yourself yes, is I yes, was on yes. a roll. Keep getting me on a roll. Like keep the role going. And if yes. we stop the role or we go down a tangent of a different role and they're talking about something totally different, get back to the thing I want you to get back to. This is the art form. This is cadence, right? This yes. is that because I was this like, I'm cadence. asking you tough questions about cadence because we're trying to define this like thing that we're both doing and that a lot of people are yes. doing. But how? So there is there is that urge uh, that natural subconscious or unconscious urge to keep reading uh-huh. that will get a little bit frustrated if it's taking too long to get to something or get a little bit frustrated if it's uh, right n- if it's too quick, like if it's not satisfied that there is this undercurrent under story and in this case particularly dialogue that needs to be honored. Yes. That people, the average person will get bored in X length of time with, or the average person uh-huh. will. Even like little copy editing things like when things rhyme unintentionally and like yes there's little things that our brains stick to that we have to either use purposefully or avoid in order for dialogue to mm-hmm. i was going to say pack a punch but that's not it because sometimes we just we want to not notice it we want that's i think that is the key to really good dialogue is like you said we don't notice that we are in it yes until we are like whoa 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 what happened to the time like we don't want to remember that we're in a story. Dialogue is the time for us to be in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this reminds me. Um, I know you're holding a page we're going to no. get to. I just am a little bit buzzy. Yay! <laughs> the JLB theory of like becoming a vampire or a wizard or like whatever uh-huh. you're reading. And so this was a season one thing. Uh, I, I wish I could say which episode it was. I don't remember which episode it was. I don't have it in my brain. But the theory is that people get... Uh, fandom again, JLB. Uh-huh. Hey, girl, BFF. <laughs> She's not Mario this season. That's good. She is. She is. We'll we see. progressed. It's just like a little dance. She gets a little craft corner dance. Got a little, we don't want. Yeah. Hey, girl. Okay. Hey, girl. <laughs> so the theory is that people don't just get into a book or a movie or whatever fandom like they get into, they become part of it. Like. Yes. If you're really into Six of Crows, like you're a crow and you're like tattooed, no mourners, no funerals. You are absolutely. In it. And part of that is dialogue because what does a group of people do? They talk to each other. We're not like, oh, I love how they just sit around and meditate together. Yes, right. It's, it's cool that they kill and they, you know, or, you know, that they're, yes. they steal and they do these things, but it's the, the snappy dialogue, the teamwork, the banter. Yes. So it's just highlighting how important good dialogue is uh-huh. for creating a book that someone wants to be part of, a group of people that someone wants to belong yeah. to. Yeah, because what better way to show off? And I think that's the other thing that we'll get into, the stuff from the video that I mentioned, mm-hmm. is about what kind of information can you convey with dialogue. And a lot of that times it is information that is very character-centric, and that's where we fall in love, and that's where we become a crow, because we're in there for those little conversations that nobody else sees. So we must be a crow. I love we it. must be a vampire. I love it. Ah! So I think this is like a really, really good example of this flow, this cadence. So I don't trust Rask. And you trust Wyland Van Eck, Jesper said incredibly, incredulously. Wyland doesn't know enough people to cause us real trouble. Don't I have something to say in this, complained Wyland. I'm sitting right here. Kaz raised a brow. Ever had a pocket have ever had your pocket picked, Wyland? I, not that I know of, been mugged in an alley? No. Hung over the side of a bridge with your head in a canal? Wyland blinked. No, but ever been beaten until you can't walk? No. Why do you think that is? I, it's been three months since you left your daddy's mansion on the Geldestat. Uh, why do you suppose your sojourn in the barrel has been so blessed? Lucky, I guess, Wyland suggested weakly. Jesper snorted. Kaz is your luck, Merchling. He's had, your under, he's had you under dreg's protection. Though you're so useless up until this minute, none of us could figure out why. 
It was perplexing, Nina admitted. Like, in that section especially where it's like, have you ever had this? No. Have you ever had this? No. Will I? Like, Kaz is the aggressor there, right? And it's Wyland having the short cadence. But you can't do that forever. So that is why we come in with this long line. It's been three months since you left your daddy's mansion on the Geldestrat. Why do you suppose your sojourn in the barrel has been so blessed? We've gotten to the point. I've made my point with questions run rapid fire answers. Now I'm getting to the actual point. And you, yes. And Bardugo holds our attention with the snappy, like Kaz is saying a lot. And so Wyland is saying a little bit. Uh-huh. Kaz is saying more. Wyland, we can, there's very little that tells us his emotion and the lack of it tells us his emotion. He kind exactly. of blinked. Yes. Like we, he's getting a little bit like, hmm, uh, a little overwhelmed by this, right? Uh-huh. And it's getting more violent and descriptive. Yes. But it's a buildup and that's the cadence, right? If he started with that violence, it'd be like, whoa, sociopath. But when he builds to right. it. Yeah. You can tell he's frustrated with right. good reason of like, yes. I am the one who's been protecting you this whole time. You, you dinglehead, <laughs> like what, what do you mean you think you've just been walking around in the most dangerous place without being hurt for no reason? And for someone who hasn't even read Six of Crows, I bet you could figure out a little bit of these people's personality. Wyland exactly. is innocent, Kaz is not. Yes. Wyland is, Kaz is street smart, Wyland is not. Exactly. Kaz is aggressive, Wyland is not. The uh-huh. other ones, we only got a little glimpse, but you do hear um, like Jasper's being sarcastic. Yes. And Nina's being... Like, um, it's just because I know her personality. So it's yeah. like a, it's like a fun detachment. Like, yes, mm, I was a little bit curious about you. not. Yeah, it was murdered. a little like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's her, <laughs> it's her Frank. Like, yes, that's, I'm going to say what's there. Kind of funny. Kind of funny. Kind of sweet. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Amazing. Oh. So that's what I like. And I'm glad that we did that deep dive into cadence because mm-hmm. it's, it's not just the rhythm. It's also the rhythm of information. It's the rhythm of character, like, reveals. It's a rhythm of a lot of different things. The, there's an emotional rhythm to it. There's a space on the page. And how, like, the sometimes the way the lines end, you don't want it to look like one solid chunk of page. Yes. is just like, um, you know, when you press, like, that fourth option in Word that I can never remember, like, the block text one. And yes. And it's like, the text goes from the beginning of the line to the end of the line, many lines yes. in a row. Like, no, that doesn't. This are... is not a newspaper. We don't right. know this. That's, that's overwhelming. This <laughs> overwhelms do our brains if we don't have little breaks on the page. And dialogue yes. are those breaks often. Exactly. Most yeah. All right. Teach me, master. Teach okay. me. Okay. So here's my favorite nugget of information that I'm going to try and convey clearly from this video that changed everything for me. Do we need a drum roll? Are you ready? Maybe. It's kind of mind-boggling. Go. Because <laughs> 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 it would probably be so easy to just like put an actual drum roll in. But no, let's bang on the microphone. No, let's bang on the microphone. Bah! Um, okay, <laughs> okay, so... So dialogue is obviously a way to convey information, right? But what this changed my brain is it conveys information within the confines of a character. There it is. That, and I drew a little diagram. (gasps) Something for the substack. Here's my little diagram. So Bob is sad and it goes through this little filter of Bob being an eternal optimist. Ooh. So when we talk about going through the lens of the character, right? It's channeled through this character. Characters in every scene have a want. They always have a want. Maybe their want is not to create conflict. Maybe their want is to be left alone. Maybe their want is to steal an object. Bob, in this instant, Bob, who is sad, is, yes, his personality is, he's an eternal optimist, but that's not enough. Why is he an eternal optimist? And what does he want with being an eternal optimist? So maybe being an eternal optimist is that he doesn't want his daughter to be sad today because it is her birthday Mm -hmm. Um, and he doesn't want to let her down. So Bob has to, Bob is not just going to like fake it out to everybody that he's not sad. He's going to give clues away in his speech. He's going to maybe not say as much as he normally does. Um, He's maybe going to be a little bit shorter tempered with people. 
he's going to maybe stare at his family portrait with his mom a little bit longer. Let's make this real dark and real sad. So maybe he's going to stare at that a little bit longer, which gives us the cues of, oh, shit, something happened to mom. Oh, shit. And then maybe Maybe. another character doesn't pick up on Bob's sadness, but we definitely are. And they're saying, oh, well, you know how your mom is. She's just blah, 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 blah. And we're like, don't talk about mom. That's a hot button issue right now. Bob's really sad. (laughs) So like that part blew my mind open. It was like, okay, I can talk about all the things I need to convey but how am I going to do that through characters that have all these different ones? And then this is, this feels like a, adding a different dimension onto, like this is leveling up. Yes. It's leveling dialogue up because you can write the script. Yes. And then you can go back to that script, or this is how I would do it, my, my layering it in. Uh-huh. And think, okay, this is the information, like in a Six of Crows way, they need to decide where they're going. Yes. Right? That's what the, the information being discussed is where they're going. And yes. all of the world building around uh, what's going on in the world that makes this scary. And, you know, so they're doing that, but they have to do it through the lens of what these characters individually want. Mm-hmm. So now like the way Kaz is going to give this information is very different than Wyland or Nina uh-huh. or anybody else. The way Bob is going to give this information, the lines are doing two, they're, they're doing two things, right? It's teaching us about the character. Uh-huh. It's making us feel, but most importantly, it's still conveying information. Exactly. So eight words are actually, you know, doing 24 words jobs. Right. Instead of saying something like, maybe let's, let's just say maybe mom, maybe his mom is in the hospital, but it's a fraught relationship. And he found out that day that mom is in the hospital, but it's also his daughter's birthday. Somebody might say something. So the information we need to convey is mom is in the hospital. Mom is injured. Mom is sick, whatever. Instead of saying that out loud. So in your original script, you might say mom is in the hospital. Okay. When you come back to it, you might say, uh, somebody might ask a question of like, do we need to set a place for your mom? Oh, I don't think she's going to be here today. And that lets us know it's a kid's birthday party. Why isn't mom going to be there today? She, oh, then the character can follow up. The other character can follow up with like, wasn't she talking about this all week? Like, what do you mean we're not going to set a place for it? And maybe Bob comes back a little bit shorter of like, she's just not going to be here. She can't make it. Mm-hmm. Or, wow, have you seen these balloons? And they're just so, <laughs> right? Like a defensive... Bingo. Yeah, and you're like, oh, he didn't answer that question at all. Yeah. So the information he's conveying is what he's not conveying. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I, th- I think the part that really kind of worked it for me is what you're getting at right there. He talks about it in, what do I need to convey? What do they want? And what words can I use that will reflect that mm-hmm. want? So for Bob, if Bob just wants the attention off him and back on his daughter, he will deflect that comment and will say, oh my gosh. Honey, these balloons look wonderful. You've done such a great job. And is that clown? Has the clown gotten here? Who who gets a clown for their kid's birthday anymore? But you know what I mean? Like, yes. has the entertainer showed up? Has the pirate for the pirate show shown up? Well, let me see if that guy's out there. Let me, oh, do the kids need more drinks? You know, he's going to reflect it that way. Whereas, you know, Kaz Brecker feeling sad is Kaz Brecker pulling out somebody's eyeball or whatever. <laughs> and this is so much of character development. I think is through dialogue because you can't really describe who someone is. You can show people interacting. You can show someone figuring out who someone is, but a lot of it is how it's the same way do, we do it in real life. It's mm-hmm. by talking to people. Yes, absolutely. It's, um, if we want to put on our teacher pants for a second. Well, yes, that means there I have go. to put pants on. <laughs> I could do we talk about because, <laughs> uh, these are leggings. Uh, they're still pants. Turning um, to pants. So when I teach uh, students about characterization, indirect and direct characterization, uh, one of the things to teach them indirect characterization is to steal information, which is you look at their speech, their thoughts, their effects on others, their actions, and their looks. Hmm. And all that stuff is what readers pay attention to, to get the most out of a character. Like we, we learn about them through those things. Um, and one of the big again? ones, <laughs> I really like yeah, that. it's steal. So you steal information, which is speech, thoughts, effects on others, actions, and looks. Okay. And this one, especially is their speech, right? We're talking mm-hmm. about dialogue. So we're talking about speech. That's not just what they say. It's how they say it or what they don't say, or the words they choose to convey, you know, the things that they say. And it's even more powerful when we add on 
the other things of steel. Oh, I love that. That's great. Yeah. That's really good. You were talking about things that, you know, like the choosing where to go in Mm -hmm. Six of Crows and, uh, you know, making decisions. A lot of that is conflict. So this is the other little nugget that I pulled because I often have time. I have trouble with conflict in dialogue. Um, We've talked about this before. I make my characters too nice. I don't want them to make mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) So this this really kind of solidified to me of um, and it goes with your visual element. I this is where my my version of doing a scene will meet your version of doing a scene. So if if there is like. If there's no spark to a scene, ask yourself, like, what are they fighting over? What's the conflict? And if there is no conflict, create one. It's wrong. Mm -hmm. Every scene is conflict. Every single scene. It may not be like, I'm going to kill you or I'm so angry at you. Conflict. It could be conflict as simple as, like, what to put on a pizza. Mm -hmm. Or even in this, where are we going? Uh, Not the, has this ever happened to you? Uh, example but the where are we going example is really just hey we're they're not arguing they're not at odds with each other but the conflict is we haven't figured out how to solve this yet exactly and that right there is enough conflict right um and if you don't like like you said if you don't have something make something happen because when we have conflict that reveals things to us as as a reader, right? We get to learn things about these characters through this conflict, how they manage conflict, how they really feel about each other. And then our ultimate, ultimate good friend subtext. This is where subtext comes out. A therapist's favorite. Ooh, I bet this is, I'm ready for you to spill on this. Let's go. (laughs) So even if we go back to the pizza one, it is not just an argument over what to put on a pizza. It is an argument over well, we always put pepperoni on the pizza. We never put spinach on the pizza. What we're really saying is we always get what you want and mm-hmm. we never get what I want. Oh, relationships not doing great. Something's happening there and that's going to spiral out of control. Mm-hmm. So. so that's dialogue then as an example of uh, scratching the surface of a deeper conflict. Exactly. Right. This is that, again, level up dialogue, mm-hmm. right? So yes, you can have an argument about pizza, but when you can turn an argument <clears throat> into pizza about an argument about a relationship that the reader's going, oh shit. <laughs> this is, I think, really important in romance. Like just as an example of a relationship we think about very purposefully while we write. Yes. Because there needs to be some degree of attraction, some degree of this would, it's um, from our romance episode, the puzzle pieces to perfection. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that can come across in a lot of different ways in dialogue. But just meaning, like, we know these two people would be good together, even if they mm. absolutely want to murder each other when it starts. Like, no matter where it starts, we know. Right. I think dialogue is one of the ways that that comes through. And it's either, like, they're pushing each other's buttons more than people usually push each other's buttons, right? Uh or they're revealing more, like telling each other more than they ought to or usually do, and that's something. Uh, I'm trying to think of other examples. Of, like the, I think that's great because I specifically think you said it, and it's like it's on, it's almost on my id list, right? Where it's somebody revealing something to someone they nor- normally wouldn't spill, right? Mm-hmm. Like I normally don't talk about this. It's just so easy to talk to you, right? And that's because you're supposed to be together, right? right? <laughs> and that. And that lets you know something, especially if you have a scene prior to this where the character didn't talk about this with someone that they were supposed to, quote, quote, talk to it about. And now here they are talking to the random stranger in the bar about it. And then that gives you that. That's the little hint in the dialogue, the mm-hmm. little hint of there's more. There's an opening scene in The Roommate by Rosie Dannon. Uh-huh. I love this scene. It's like, uh, so it's the meet cute and it happens right away. And it's, so the premise is that, like, essentially, like, a blue-blooded goody-two-shoes moves to L.A., but is to be with a guy who essentially dumps her on the spot, like, picks her up from the airport and, like, found housing for her, but it dumps her on the spot. So she goes in to live with this stranger, essentially, and he's a porn star. (laughs) (laughs) Uh and so when they meet, yeah, I know, it's a great I premise. Love this. It's really great. So it's like, you know, it's like something, she says something like, rule number one, like, never Google your roommate. Because eventually she finds out she doesn't know right away. Yeah. And she's like very innocent and naive. And so she goes in, and there's immediate physical attraction between them. And the dialogue is so, I almost want to pull it off my shelf because the dialogue is so funny because it's like they meet, and there's like a little bit of, there's an introduction thing and a little bit of a spark. And then like, 
he gets a little like he's less of a filter. He's kind of like an impulsive guy, and he's yeah. So something comes out with like, a, oh, I didn't mean it in that way. I mean, not that you're not. I mean, like vavoom, and does like holding two melons in his hand, <laughs> and he's like, I don't, I don't know why I'm doing this. Just forgot. I'm, I can we start? You know, it's like, and she's like, ah, uh, um, huh, like. <laughs> But it's such a good, like, on-page manifestation of, it's the attraction is the layer, just in the dialogue, and then the way, you know, he literally puts his hands out, he's holding melons, which is, but we learn so much about him, like, in terms of where his limitations go, and, like, what he's feeling, and how he's trying not to feel that, and for also for her, like, we're also seeing her as an attractive person, and in her head, she's, like, super anxious yeah. and does not think of herself as an attractive oh person. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And it's, like, you learn so much about them just in this very awkward two strangers introducing, and they right away put each other on the, the friend zone page in order to be roommates, because they both really need this roommate yes. situation to work out, when that attraction is there, and the, the thread that you follow throughout the romance is them... Their attraction grows and grows and grows, but they have friend zoned each other from that very first page so thoroughly that it just they're making up bigger and bigger excuses for why they have to touch and like. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, just a good example. I love of, this so much. Right, but this the, is perfect. The idea of paying attention to the dialogue as a vessel of communicating. Right. The friction, tension, relationship between two people. Exactly. Because even what you were just saying is like making up excuses of why they need to touch. That lets you know what they want, but it's gone through the filter of I need you to be friend zoned. Yes. Right. And, so it's and never going to be like, I need to make out with you and I need to bang you in the bathroom. No. It's going to be. That's a short story, not a novel. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Good, but yeah. So great. But. <laughs> yeah. No, this is the, in your drawing of Bob, this is like that mirror looking thing that it goes uh-huh. through the filter of like this male main character. He's like a little bit of a, a himbo, so to speak. Yeah. He's like a little bit of like a, you know, he's kind of, he doesn't, he can be hard on himself or not. He doesn't feel smart often and he like and he says things that are not particularly smart like he does not filter well and so it's like right there we learn this it goes the attraction goes through his filter what he's feeling and it comes out in this like awkward forward uncomfortable way yeah i love him yes he's great it's a fantastic i would give everything for him yeah it was a pitch for his book actually and now she's a usa today bestseller that's amazing yeah Oh my gosh. Okay. I love this. Continue. Sorry, I went on a. No, that's, I mean, that's, I think that like, those are the big takeaways that I really, really had from that. And then the, the last thing that I am learning to do is the improv, the, the rule of improv, which Mm -hmm. is yes. And, um, and that is what I think the dialogue that we've covered here in Six of Crows and even from the roommate is this yes and. If we shut the door, if somebody, if a character asks a question uh, and the other character chooses not to answer it, if you have the other character not answer it and go off somewhere else and you don't really have a plan for that, that's that's a letdown. But if we have a yes and where it's like, I open the door, like the Kaz Brecker situation, he opened the door for Wyland to answer these questions honestly, knowing that he would answer them honestly. And, you know, Wyland said, and he said, yes. Uh, have you ever had this happen? No. Oh, now I get to ask another question. Have you ever had this happen? No. Have you ever thought about that? Well, I, and that's, Wyland never at any point gets silent. He never backs up fully away from Kaz. He keeps answering Kaz, who is this aggressive, you know, bastard of the barrel. (laughs) He, instead of choosing to be like, I'm going to be quiet now. He's like, no, I'm going to keep answering this guy because I'm a proper boy. So he's doing a yes (laughs) and, right? And so that, so you're saying if, if a character doesn't do yes and, what's the risk? So the risk then becomes it's stunted dialogue. Mm-hmm. It becomes that wooden dialogue where it's like, I had something to say. I had something to say. Now I have something to say. Instead of that natural dialogue, this is the kind of stuff that makes you flow, right? You don't realize that you are deep into the dialogue until you're three pages in. Not every line has to be a yes and. There are times to break it off. But if you want that dialogue to flow and that information to flow and your reader never to look up, maybe work on that yes and I have laid a bait for this person and they have answered it which allows me to keep talking so that it builds something and this is exactly particularly useful in the scenes we're discussing because we're one we're learning about the characters but two we need this information we need to understand the the like lengths Kaz is willing to go to for many months before this plan has begun 
Yes. And we learn a ton about Wyland's life and the way things work in this world. And we look, so this is a, this is an example of using dialogue to give, convey very specific information about character and world building. Yes. And so if we're cutting each other off and not, if we're stilting the dialogue, we're going to have trouble, our brains are just going to struggle to build on this information. Exactly. That scene could have been, why do you think you've been able to walk around the barrel without getting hurt? It's because I've been protecting you. We could have cut out all of the, why do you think this? Have you ever had this happen? Have you ever had this happen? In that, we learn from Kaz, he's probably had his ass beaten until he can't walk. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows and everybody sees Kaz with his cane. He talks about that. He says, have you ever been beaten until you can't walk? Right there, we learn this is a sore button issue for Kaz. I didn't even think of that, but you're right. It's also, it's what... It is the kind of information he's asking that's revealing his own experience. And everyone else is there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And how out, how much of an outsider Wylan is. Yes. So easily that scene could have been wooden dialogue, which is just hey, those I did two this. lines. I did realize? this for you. Yeah. But it turned into so much more because we chose to do the yes ending. And the risk of like if Wylan in these moments was had saying a lot back, like then we end up with like the metaphorical equivalent of a bunch of Lego pieces. Yes. But they're not built on top of each other. Exactly. When it's, have you done this? No. Well, have you done this? And my, right now my hands are going up and up and uh-huh. up. They're kind of laddering together. And so yes. then we're just taking in one cohesive string of information rather exactly. than a bunch of pieces. Because if you think about the true improv of that situation is the improv that Kaz, the actor, is and you, the author, is throwing out to Wylan is I'm feeding you a line and I'm saying, yes, I need you to respond not in a long way. I need you to respond in a short way so that I can come back at you again. So are you going to do that? Okay, great. Now I can add this line on, mm-hmm. right? So improv actors will pick that up of, oh, this is a scene I don't need to say a lot in because they're attacking me, mm-hmm. right? So that's the there's the, so many different ways to think about improv mm-hmm. that way. And it's also, right, this, this works in improv. I think of this with children playing (laughs) Uh uh-huh because if kids are like coming up with a creative imaginary scene and the other one's like no it just kills the whole it kills it when you build something together when people build something together it keeps you in it and it doesn't make yes anyone feel foolish or in this case waste our brain space Uh uh-huh yeah perfect wow yeah these These are good so right now what i've written down i'm ready our various pieces of advice is so far in one spot writing it out as a script yep uh, getting the feel and the flow, paying attention to cadence, and we've talked a bit about how and why we pay attention to cadence, uh, letting it be messy, and also listening for beats, which is part of cadence, conveying, using dialogue to convey information within a character. What mm-hmm. do they want? Uh, what uh, what words reflect that want or even deflect that want in mm-hmm. a way? Um, what is the conflict? And what is the subtext? Yes. And then the rule of improv. And the rule of improv. Got some nuggets so far. Yeah. And then I guess like the last thing I pulled was from, um, it's a kind of long line. It's not that long of a title. I'll send this link to you as well. And Mm -hmm. it'll be in our show notes. Uh, And the Substack. Sign up for it. (laughs) George Lucas, King of Wooden Dialogue. In that talk of wooden dialogue, it brings, I was ready to like be like, yeah, screw George Lucas, because that dialogue of that prequel trilogy sucks. The prequel, and that's the one that gets you the most, huh? Yes, yeah, I hate it so much. <laughs> it's so bad. It's such bad writing. But it came back at the end saying the beautiful thing about his dialogue is you could probably get everything you needed to get from it, even if you didn't speak the language. Tell Say more. So when you see, like, and this is purely as film, you get to see, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the Anakin and Padme scene where they're standing on the balcony and he's like, I hate sand. It's coarse and it gets everywhere. That line is so fucking bad. But here's the thing. Everybody remembers that stupid line because it's cheesy, but also it really conveys everything. He could have said totally other words. But I have picked up everything I need to know based on his body language, the setting of the scene, the way they, the two characters are posed towards one another. He's like trying to flirt. <laughs> He's trying to flirt. While also being a pessimistic downer. While being, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so like we have gotten this like, he's kind of a 
he's kind of a pessimist. He's kind of a downer. He's kind of an emo boy. And she's very light and fluffy and very pretty and very regal. And this is him doing a very bad job of flirting. God love him. <laughs> and I think that's the beauty of George Lucas is a lot of those things you can just tell from the character based off this wooden dialogue. But I digress. The big thing about it is that because he does this wooden dialogue, he has so many, he's unafraid to do things. And this ties into our vibe episode. He is unafraid to take that dialogue wherever he wants to take it. Mm -hmm. That's why we get the epic ass lines of, uh, so this is how democracy dies with thunderous applause from Padme. Mm -hmm. It's like, shit, that is all right, we're talking about like the death of democracy here. And it is this wonderful scene of the Sith taking over. All right. Mm -hmm. And we remember that line. We remember the cheesy um, Obi-Wan Kenobi going, oh, hello there. Like everybody knows that's Obi-Wan's opening line if you're a Star Wars nerd, right? We (laughs) get these. I'm learning from you. (laughs) I know, but like my Star Wars peeps know, like we know the Luke, I'm your father. We know the... Um, you scruffy little nerf herder, right? Like we know these little lines that are so cheesy, but we love them mm-hmm. because they're cheesecake and they're not <laughs> diet cheesecake. Yes. They're not diet cheesecake. And There's I dropped no, um, my pen. Yeah, it's not it's not um made with some like bad cheesecaking ingredients like equal or like all the other fake sweeteners. He just gets right to the point. So yeah. even in the cheesy, there's good. It'd yes. be great to be to make cheesecake that isn't cheesy as well, but exactly. you know, we digress. Yes. So, <laughs> I don't know. There was just something really cool there because I was, like, not being team curiosity. I was being team I hate this prequel trilogy. <laughs> and then it, like, the video unloads a bunch of really good lines on you, and you're like, I actually know all of those lines, and I repeat them daily. Shit. Well, I, I wonder if that, like, a big thing, the more we, the longer we're doing this, once I've gotten past the... Um, paralyzing fear of making sure every single scene does everything we've ever talked about in turning to story and beyond (laughs) it comes back to this emerging theory we've been discussing about like books seem to need to do five or six things and not all of them well that if you just do if you knock a few of these things out of the park uh, it finds its people and other people could be like, the world building is terrible. The dialogue is terrible. But wow, those vibes were amazing. Or wow, I mean, that, like the characters were out of this world. Absolutely. That's the prequel trilogy. I mean, giving a live example, that is me with the prequel trilogy. The uh, Anakin Padme relationship, kind of weird age difference, but eating it right up. See, the me, vibes. Yeah, I, the- I agree with you. I love it. It's funny to me. Like that just, you just know a man wrote it. Oh, like, Yeah. Right? Because no, no, it's not believable. No. That any She's out queen there. would be like, here, little child. Like, wow, yes. you've grown and I'm just yes. so attracted to you now. Yeah. Or she's going to be like, I'm going to throw my whole life away yeah. to be with that. But I'm still good with it. I'm yes. still good with it because there's enough that. I, but you know what? I, I think it's an idless thing. I think you yep. said it before and I wrote it down. It's something with like sad emo boy and fluffy like it's a different grumpy sunshine it's not just grumpy it's like sad and tortured it's sad and tortured (laughs) and here's someone who is like you're emotionally stable so you can help this person through a mental health crisis in that situation i'm sorry interrupted please no except it's anakin skywalker (laughs) so you can't sorry hon (laughs) sorry you're gonna die of a broken heart Um, it's also, I don't know if anybody ever watched the OC, speaking of just like, you know, amazing <laughs> thematic accomplishments of our age. <laughs> I love this so much. Have you ever seen it? You probably No. Have. This is one of my most Oh man, I love the OC. But anyways, our, our main girl, Marissa, is a Sunshine California girl. And I'm sure people, the few people who know what I'm talking about are thinking of the main boy who she was clearly supposed to be with, who's a little bit like grumpier and from the wrong side of town. Oh, no. you've told me about this. Isn't there one that's like... This because it's an endless thing. I am talking about this random season where she had a boyfriend from public school, from poor public school, I should say, not rich public school, (laughs) who was like a total emo, like in his feelings, super depressed, like you're keeping me alive. And the thing with Anakin and this boy, they get obsessed with Sunshine Girl. They don't just feel it a little bit. Like, they are obsessed. Where he's, like, even... Anakin, like, yells at her how much he loves her. Like, yes. I can't stop thinking of it. Where he's like, it's torture. Yes, <laughs> it's torture. And you're like, oh, 
we must really love her. Yeah. <laughs> it like literally he ruins his soul and goes to the dark side because the love is too overwhelming. <laughs> You're like, all these red flags are going around and we're like, put those down. And then put but, those down. But us early 2000s girls are like, hey. Hey, that's a green flag, right? That's a green like, flag. No, we are trained no. to love them. <laughs> That's like the whole premise of the show, um, Tell Me Lies. Oh, I haven't heard of that. It's a whole, it takes place in college in the early 2000s. And it's just low-key, all of these gorgeous, uh, intelligent, amazing girls dating assholes below them and being obsessed with them. Dang Because that's the whole society of the early 2000s revolved around bros. I need you to, okay, we're going to have this conversation not on this podcast, but some <laughs> friends and I had a conversation about how wild the early 2000s were yes. as a woman, because it was like, we were so, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, all of these like artists, Beyonce, like in TLC, not Beyonce quite yet. Um, well, she's Beyonce. No, she wasn't TLC. Like, you're thinking of uh, oh, Desi- no, I'm thinking no, of- Destiny's Child. Destiny's Child. Thank yeah. you. So Destiny's TLC Child. TLC was right? late 90s, I'd say, but still early Never 2000s. Right? Okay. Yeah. Forgive me. Forgive me, no, you're Green good. Bay. You're good. <laughs> um, but like all of these feminine artists were fairly young at the time or really young at the time, teenagers, and it's like overly sexualized. But completely then bashed have... in the media for being but then completely, sexualized. Yes, we they were, were talking obsessed about... with Britney Spears' boobs, but yes. also there's so many interviews that you could see. What did you do to break? My friend was like, what did you, They because uh, uh, she was reading the Britney Spears, auto, like her biography or whatever, mm-hmm. autobiography. Oh, yeah. And it was in there about, you know, how they would like hype Justin Timberlake up to be a player or whatever. And then they would interview her and say what did you do to break his heart what kind of horrible person must you have been and i'm like the early 2000s is fucking wild no wonder it was like oh you could be whoever you want to be girls like you could grow up to be president one day sort of and still hasn't happened so like they were you know that was the messaging and then at the same time it was also like but don't you dare be a slut you hoe yes and like make sure you take care of those boys Right? It was crazy. Such it was crazy. crazy. You can do anything and be anything and take off some more clothes and then like... I think what? that's part of why my tolerance, like I really do think that this is part of why my tolerance for bad behavior and like shadow daddy kind of stuff is a little bit higher than a younger reader. Yes! <laughs> Who's equally progressive to me. I, I 100% <laughs> I'm a little broken. I think <laughs> Anna and I are both happily married. Very, <laughs> very happily very married. Very happily married. But there's still parts of us that are a little bit broken. <laughs> They're a little bit broken. They need they need someone who's going to scrunch our heart. And not in a sexy way. <laughs> it's torture. It's torture to love you. Oh, I'm that so sorry, sister. babe. I'm sorry, babe. <laughs> I'm sorry, babe. I Here, think- I drew stars on my palm for you. Does that make it better? I connected them into our favorite constellation. <laughs> it's like that juxtaposed with like the rise of emo and like it just made so many feels for us. And yeah, yes. now our endless are a little bit they're, they're a little, little bit, bit toxic. Emo. They're, they're a little, little bit, bit toxic. Emo. And that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, that was a tangent. And a half. It was a tangent. I don't know if we'll end up keeping that, but that Guess. was interesting. A little therapy. Um a few last minute things before we shift to I'm ready. Crafty craft. Um, I just, there were like a few things I wanted to make sure we mentioned. Let me see what they are. So I guess, yeah, a couple of just quick basics. I feel like we covered a lot of this inside character. Yeah. But it still bears like repeating. For sure. So dial, your eyes should be able to go smoothly over dialogue. Like Mm -hmm. Anna said, our brains want to go to dialogue. And you don't want the extra stuff to distract from the messaging that we've been talking about, what you want to convey. So that's why Kaz said, Nina said, um, all of these things are short and quick and just giving us information. Mm -hmm. It does not always need to be flowery or purple. Yes. Because we want to get the information and our brains as like experienced readers will skip over who, like we will know who's talking and skip over the he said, she said parts. Uh Uh-huh. He said, she said, they said can disappear. And that's what we want to happen. Yes. We want that in a good chunk of dialogue. So just good advice is to make sure that you have the bare minimum to know that the average reader can know who's talking and then delete the rest if you can. Yes. Unless it's an Im- important emotional beat you want to highlight. Uh-huh. 
So this gets more challenging, again, with three or more speakers, but if two people are going back and forth, even within a conversation with more speakers, right? that's why authors can drop the tags. Right. That's why that scene worked with Jesper and Wyland, mm-hmm. Kaz and Wyland. Jesper's there. Nina's there. But the focus very quickly shifted to Kaz and Wyland. And then whenever it shifted out, that was Jesper. They make sure to let you know Jesper speaking now. And so Bardugo didn't need to tell us. Uh, Kaz said, Wyland said, Kaz said, Wyland uh-huh. said, back and forth. What's, you just go into that rhythm and your eyes are scanning it quickly. Yes. Uh, th- and it's also, it's a good reminder because if you, you have to use saids both often and sparingly at yes. the same time. It's this funny balance, right? Yes. <laughs> so if you use he said, she said, they said too many times, uh huh, it pulls you from the story because you're very aware you're reading yes. a, a dialogue and not experiencing a dialogue. So you mix that in with dialogue tags, action tags, mm-hmm. like behavior descriptions of what's happening in that moment that give a little bit more of that emotional hint, uh-huh. but not too many of those where you're weighing down the dialogue too uh-huh. much and taking away from the dialogue. Right, right. It's a bit of a song and dance. It is. And that's like part of the revision part of this, right? That is the that is the very detailed revision part. This isn't in my crappy notepad. This is yes. in your, in the actual prose writing, we're polishing this. That's that's when this comes into play. And that's the, the last thing that I wanted to mention was exactly what you said, that I... As an overwriter and as someone who is taking forever to write friggin' book two, it is really helping me and important to keep in mind, do this in layers. Yes. You will absolutely freeze unless you're like, have something that Anna and I don't. And if so, please tell us and give it to us. Right, Help please. Us have it. <laughs> if you try to do this all at once in your first draft, like, you know, you try to do it as it comes to you, mm-hmm. but I, I really do think that there is a, a cool technique and dialogue coming first. Yes. And then going back and... and adding in but getting the information first and the rhythm first and then you right. can go back in and it's it takes a lot of revision to get it right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i think that's a beautiful thing too just a random tangent is i think if you do the dialogue first for me it kind of informs like some fun idlis things that i could do in that scene so it's like i don't really like i have them doing this here's the plot thing that i need to happen but now that i have this cool rhythm Mm-hmm. Can I put this during a dance? Can they be dancing? Can we do that fun endless thing? Like, can we do a competition? Can we do, uh, maybe they're like hiking in the woods and they get trapped, right? Like, or can I sitting somewhere beautiful? Exactly, and, yeah, and that's happening in the background, and that can match the emotion you're trying to convey. Exactly, pick those touchstones of our from our vibes episode to match the background of this dialogue in a very subtle way that then serves to accentuate whatever you're trying to get across, whatever's yes. important to you in that moment. Ooh, I, I love, love it. That. That was good. That's fun. Right? And then the last piece as we were talking of just like the has to be mentioned. The old advice we've both talked about, the idea of like if you were to pull out all of one person, like pull us any line from your book once it is fully revised, you should be able to tell, quote unquote, um, who is speaking. By the time now you have the messaging across, you you have the cadence, you have the messaging and the mm-hmm. information, you have all the descriptions. You want to make sure that there's enough of that filter for each character that they each have their own unique angle that they're taking. Uh Uh-huh. And that can be even, and I think something that has made this piece of advice feel more conquerable and understandable is I feel like when we give writing advice like that at a blanket, it's like, what the It's layers of things. So we can look at a line of dialogue and see, um, have you ever been... Uh, beaten so badly you can't walk I, you can pull that out and that honestly like every one of the crows have been through this awful life in the barrel like they've had these mm-hmm. awful experiences but if I sit and think about that that is a kind of very brusque question to ask somebody and there's a couple characters that I think of for that and then I also think about the context of okay why would they be asking that and that kind of narrows it down on characters. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I think about what's actually being said there and who that has happened to. And I'm like, okay, I could probably throw a dart at the wall and say this is Kaz. So that's us both use, using context to get this. That yes. It's, you could make them anonymous, but still give us the context of how it's being said and in what circumstances. Exactly. And it's, that works too. Yeah. This yeah. for Ravel, I remember doing this like right before copy edits. This was late. Like the draft was almost completely done. And then I would just went through and examined and it was mostly there by then because when as you're revising 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 it'd be like oh roger always says things with a little bit he jokes a little bit make sure he's a little bit jokey here and yeah 
Um, yeah, so that was those were the last I love few it. little snippets. Yeah. Heck now yeah. Craft Corner, Craft Corner. Craft Corner. Craft Corner. Craft Corner. I'm ready. You're ready. Do you ready? Want me to want me to go first? Sure. Yeah. This is one I have mentioned before. I hope it wasn't a craft corner, uh, but I do think it's useful for dialogue specifically. I keep a note in my phone when I see something that touches in some way, like makes me feel is something more strongly than I expected. Uh-huh. I jot down quickly what it was. Ooh. And I think this often happens if I'm watching TV or movies, uh-huh. um, but even just real life interactions with okay. dialogue. So, for example, ex- I was gonna say example. Yeah, let me. Should I pull it out? No, they're like very precious to me. I'm not gonna pull. That's them okay. Out. <laughs> um, in your birthday party example, I'm just uh-huh. gonna really fly by the seat of my pants here. So Bob is upset. Let's make it that his wife isn't there or something. Uh-huh. And what he is. Like, there are ways to convey the punch of whatever he's feeling, of that, either that anger, that sadness, so I think yeah. we're leaning towards sadness. Um, and there are ways you'll see people dance around it in everyday life that make it just a little bit more heartbreaking. Oh. And so, like, when I see that, I write it down. But maybe the daughter then is like, you know, oh, I can't wait for my ice cream cake. And he looks absolutely panicked and is like, oh, your mom always takes care of the ice cream. I'm sure I can get an ice cream cake. He's the optimist. And she, uh-huh. and we see that the the daughter, it's not like that's sad as she doesn't throw a fit. That's too on the nose. But maybe she, she yes. gives him, hugs one of his legs and says, don't worry, dad. It's always too cold anyways. Um, yeah, oh. not, yeah. Right. It's something that hits a little different. Yes. So even if I don't understand it in the moment, I write it down. And I try to remember what people said. Yeah. Uh, almost to the point where I'm like, part of my brain is like, oh shit, remember these are quotes. Don't plagiarize. So I'll put quotes around them so I don't plagiarize. Right. Um, my friend, this will be a good test to see if one of my BFFs listens. I don't think she does. She's not a writer, so she... <laughs> <laughs> She's she, about to pass her I know, I'm trying not to blow up her spot. In case she... She's about to lose the last F in that BFF. She's, B... She's <laughs> no, a BF. Bits. I'm trying not to blow up her spot because this is it's information that shouldn't be shared to the masses. Let's just say she either was part of or witnessed an interaction of a date a date or not date situation. Okay. It was unclear if it was a date or not date. And one member of this interaction started narrating what they were doing because they were nervous. I am taking off my coat now. I'm going to sit in this seat now and just put my hands right here. <laughs> it was like a very type A nervous uh-huh. person feeling yes. something. Yes. And I right away was like, I'm sorry, that's going in one of my books. That She's is like, it no, now. I figured. And if I write one day, that's going in mine too. Because it was like, I never would have thought of no. having someone slip into external narration because yes, they're nervous. because I'm nervous. <laughs> and they're kind of like nerdy in that way. Oh. But I wrote it down and I kept it on my list. And, and you're one like, day this I'll is something. a type A person who's nervous and they will start externally narrating. That's so good. <laughs> that is so good. I love one. this. It's like you're like in real life id list, right? Like Yes, exactly. Exactly. If whatever I see, it's just like, oh, that made me feel. Sometimes it'll cry. I'll like cry. And I'll be like, wait, oh, that's so sad. Like something really bad happened and I'm really like upset. And then I'm like, wait, why? But I'm surprised by the uh-huh. level. It's not like sometimes you just know something's really bad and I'm upset. Right. And then I jot it down. <laughs> I love I'm that. Truving for information. You're like that. There's something that I've paid attention. Oh, is it, is it Neil? Neil Gaiman? Somebody says, has a really big thing of like, oh, Gosh, I literally don't know where I came where it came from, but it's like write it being a writer is not uh knowing a lot of things. It's not it's not being really what well read. It's paying attention. Mm. It's paying attention and it's observing from the world around you it's and so conveying true. that. And uh, that's that hits on that. Wow. Right? It's so true. I'm writing it it. down so I can uh, fact check the actual quote and prepare. I know. Somebody, I can't remember who said it, where I got it from. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully we'll get an answer. Watch, it'll be Beyonce, not Neil Gaiman. Right. (laughs) It'll be be TLC, not (laughs) Strike Strike 2 for Beyonce. I'm sorry. You're going to be banned from the tour. I am. Sorry. (laughs) You're good. I'm just a Swifty light and a Beyonce light. (laughs) Flaws. I am learning to let my characters make flaws. And I got this from a video I watched, but make the character make mistakes because that creates conflict. And then they will do things out of fear of Hmm. that conflict. 
Wait, so make them make mistakes for conflict, uh-huh. and then they will uh, defending against that conflict. Exactly, we'll create okay. your plot. We'll create some actions. We'll create more conflict, which will create more stakes. So I am learning to let characters say the thing that I am afraid to let them say out of fear of conflict. I am learning to, if they want to do a thing that is like, I don't know how I'm going to really write them out of that. That's like a really bad thing. Let's do the really bad thing. Let's do the hypothetical. And like, that's where my notepad comes in handy is I let them do the hypothetical in the notepad. And then I'm like, oh, which would cause this to happen, which would cause this tension. And then I let them do the thing. Um, Because again, I try and write goody two shoes who just... (laughs) don't want to make any mistakes or just have their eyes on the plot instead of being a fully fledged character and making fuck ups. I love how parallel the process of you trying to write flaws into characters is with you needing to move. Stop it. Notes. (laughs) Because I stop it. (laughs) Host of the psychologist. I can't help it. Don't. (laughs) No, do it. You need to move to notes because you won't allow yourself to be messy in a draft. Yep. In Microsoft Word or Scrivener, ner, ner, ner. Yep. <laughs> I see nothing wrong here. There is nothing. I no, don't we'll understand why you're laughing. I do not understand <laughs> at all. It's all good. It's all good. I apologize. No, it's great. Or I'll charge you either way. <laughs> Please. Thank you. Can I cash out for $5? <laughs> no solution offered. Just pointing out, pointing Just, out a problem. <laughs> Just making you feel a little bit dragged. Yeah. Just a little bit. Just, just gonna drag bit. you and then send you a bill <laughs> unsolicited. <laughs> I created more things for you to actually talk about in therapy. You're I really do like what you're saying though, and it is a really good point. It's yeah. like you're noticing an aspect of your writing that you self monitor. Yes. And I totally, I can joke with you on this because you know I do it too. Yes. And then giving yourself the challenge of like, it's almost like, your daily dose of rejection, which we've been mm-hmm. talking about. It's like letting yourself be crazier and letting your characters be crazier and more extra than they would have been. And then yes. doing that in a separate space, so you can evaluate it and figure uh-huh. out, does this actually yes. work? And I think that is allowing myself that creativity. I've looked at it that way because I've, I've looked so much at time. Like I'm such a person who is like, I've, there's no time. There's no time. There's no time. And, uh, if I look at writing with there's no time, it puts all this pressure on it. So I think there's part of like putting it in a notepad that's like, this is time. I have to make this time. And it mm-hmm. is part of the creative process time. So that when I actually go to put it in Scrivener, ner, 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 <laughs> it's okay. Like it's it's better than the garbage I would have put in it that mm-hmm. I would have to throw entirely away. Maybe mm-hmm. I can save a couple nuggets from it this time. And to your uh, super ego's credit here, Scrivener, ner, ner, ner does tell you like if you were looking in, in different sorts if you're adding and deleting words like i am very messy in uh-huh. my drafts I, I don't move elsewhere but it'll piss me off because like if i'm copying and pasting all around sometimes my session targets end up being like very negative or very uh-huh. pop like instead of what i actually created yeah that uh, because i keep track of like how much did i write today in, in scrivener and nice scrivener 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 i hardly knew her <laughs> A little season one joke for you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode. Remember that you can sign up for our Substack. The link is in the show notes. There's a lot of cool stuff going on over there. A lot of visuals, a lot of uh, resources that you can use to kind of tag along with the episode. Lots of good conversations too, and we hope to see you there. Bye.